Hey, expats and travelers, welcome to this week's episode sponsored by WorldPost.io, the virtual mailbox service powered by Anytime Mailbox. We'll get to the features and benefits a little later. If you're interested in becoming an expat, whether you're moving to Portugal or another overseas location, I highly recommend you get your finances in order before you move. Yes, it's actually really important that you do it before you go. I know when we first got started, we did not do it that way. But if we knew John McNertney at Green Ocean Global, we would have gone to him as he's someone that is Lisbon-based and he is experienced with expat financial challenges. So he's a go-to person that we recommend. Right, he can help you with long-term investments, financial systems, and international taxes. And he's actually helped us and producer Dan has used him to explore what it would be like to move abroad and see if it would fit his family's current financial situation. I think what's great about him is that he gives you personalized plans. He will look into your unique situation and he'll help you out. And this is honestly what's super necessary because we get tax questions and finance questions on the YouTube channel and literally no background from the person that's asking us the question. So now we've started to point people to John. Right, because everyone is different and everyone has their own unique situation. So you need an expert to help you out. All right, so visit greenoceanglobal.net for contact information and further assistance. Check out the show notes below. Hello, and welcome, my emerging expat. You're tuned in to Let's Move to Portugal. I'm producer Dan, and I have the distinct honor of bringing you YouTube travelers and our resident Portugal experts, expats everywhere's Kaylee and Josh. Each week, they'll inspire, they'll educate, and they'll accompany you on your journey to Portuguese residency. This week on Let's Move to Portugal, Kaylee chats with Matthew, a lawyer and digital nomad from the Atlanta area. He and his mother moved to Portugal sight unseen about one year ago, and so far, it's been a positive change. This was a great conversation about transitioning to a simpler life. Well, hello, expats. Great to see you again, Kaylee and Josh. Great to see you, Dan. Yeah, it's good to see you, Dan. What's been going on with you this week? Yeah, you know, we went to Espinho, which is, or Espinho, I should say in, in Portuguese. We went to Espinho, which is south of, of Gaia, south of Porto. Okay. Uh, we took the train there, fairly straightforward. Uh, it's the second, third time, third time now we've been. It's nice. It's a nice beach town. February, and we were able to lay out on the beach. Ooh. Um, so that was pretty awesome. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, the water was cold, of course, but actually sitting on the beach and playing in the sand was a lot of fun. Sia loved it, and we went with some friends who have girls all different ages, and they just had a really good time. And nice. Always fun to get together with other kids. It's really nice. The, the town is, you know, it's small, but it's really easy to get to from Porto. So we're going to do a video about it, obviously, like a city guide, because a lot of people have been asking of places that aren't in the big cities but are well-connected. They want to be close to an airport. They want to be close to a big city, but they don't want to be in the busyness of a big city. And so this was a really good option. It's a cute little place. It's small, but cute. Sounds like it's got it all. Yeah, speaking of being close to the airport, we spoke to some friends, some people that we met at one of our expats everywhere meetups, and they live there. And they said that when they go to the airport, they usually Uber there, and it costs around 20 euros. Yeah, which is crazy because crazy. you think that there's it's south. Like crazy cheap. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, because the airport is north of Porto and this town is south. 
of Gaia, and you know, it's, even though it's not that far, you could take public transportation, but that'd take you maybe about an hour and a half. But you know, with the way that Uber and Bolt are, it's it's quite affordable. Yeah, and we've been doing a lot of work on just kind of the content creation stuff in general, whether it be on our Patreon or the new newsletter that we started up. New newsletter sounds funny to say. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of fun stuff coming out, actually, and we're trying to get ahead in our production schedule. We've got some good city guides, some good interviews, some interesting updates on Ceph and visas and all that fun stuff that, you know, circles around Portugal. Nice. Yeah, one funny thing with Ceph, and this is probably going to upset Kaylee, but we did our, our Ceph renewal, our two-year renewal, and me and Sia have received our residency cards, our renewed residency cards back, and it's valid for three years. We sent in the, the fees and did the, the renewal at the same time. Kaylee still doesn't have hers back yet, so <laughs> yeah, she's stressing it. Can you believe that? And I did all the work to renew online. I showed Josh exactly how <laughs> oh, to do of it. Of course you did. He gets his card. C gets her card the same day. Yeah. And it has been a week, and I still have not gotten mine. So I'm trying to figure out when, you know, it's time to hit the panic button or if I should give them a little longer. You know, CTT, the post is known to lose stuff here, so I'm a c'est little t'es. nervous. Yeah, CTT. So I'm a little nervous about that one. <laughs> yeah, you should be. No, I'm just kidding. You shouldn't be nervous. You shouldn't be nervous. It'll happen. It'll happen in Portuguese time. Just be Portuguese about it. I just hope it happens. That's fine. I don't mind waiting. I just want to make sure it happens. But the good news is, is when it does happen, and I'll be optimistic here, We've renewed for three years now. We could do the automatic renewal online, so it was very easy and straightforward, which was nice. Nice. And by straightforward, basically, there was nothing to do but check a box and pay a fee. Yeah, click a couple buttons and say, here, take your money. Like, it was pretty crazy. We've been asked by a lot of people uh, if we had to upload any new documents or, yeah, anything like that. And the answer, at least for us, was no. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Well, Kaylee, I had a great time with you and Matthew this week, and we're going to listen to that shortly. But here in the States this week, it's Valentine's Day. Do the Portuguese celebrate Valentine's Day? They do, actually. It's not like super big, I'd say, like it it is in the States. But you definitely see cake shops and such decorated. Not the traditional, you know, pastry places, but some newer ones. Oh, my favorite is... The place where we get our hair cut, they've got love a sign. Love is in the hair. Yeah, they got a little sign on there that says love is in the hair, which I think is a lot of fun. So they do. And see, a school is decked out with hearts and everything. So nice. So is my kid's school. They do celebrate a little bit, but it's not over the top. No, it's not over the top. Some restaurants have like a little Valentine's menu. But in general, at least I noticed that last year, but in general, it's not quite the same level as the States. Josh isn't much of a flower giver, so we don't really do much for Valentine's Day. Yeah, my wife's not much of a flower giver either, so I totally get it, Kaylee. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) And with that, we'll get into our interview right after this message. Worldpost.io is powered by Anytime Mailbox, which means you can get your mail anytime, anywhere, even on your smartphone. And they really have competitive pricing with their lowest package starting at $5 per month. Here's a cool feature they have. World Post can relay things from the U.S. to Europe. So that includes documents. <laughs> Amazon purchases Amazon from the purchases, US. <laughs> And you can get it to Portugal. And they have a variety of packages. Some include secure shredding, free junk mail filters, and things like that. I bet you love that junk mail filter. Oh, lots of junk mail. I sign up for a lot of newsletters. <laughs> She's not joking. So if you're interested in worldpost.io, you can visit the website or check the link in the show notes below. 
Okay, let's talk about Lusitano Dreams because what they're offering is really great. Yeah, it definitely is. And Dallas actually has grown Lusitano Dreams since we first met him. So he's really getting his process dialed in. The thing that I like about it is it removes the barrier and, and choke point of the proof of accommodation because that's been one of the biggest things that the D7 and the D8 for the, like the long-term people have had problems with, right? Yeah, it's definitely something that is really hard to lock yourself into sight unseen. But here you can have a legitimate contract. You can rest assured that it's going to be a soft landing because you're coming into a furnished place in a good location and a livable location until you can kind of get your bearings and figure out where you really want to live. And the cool thing about it is that they can start your lease when you arrive. So you're not like burning a few months of, of cash essentially paying for an apartment or paying for a lease that you're not using. Yeah, that's one that's really hard to negotiate, trying to get a lease that starts when you want to arrive and not when you are actually applying. So the fact that they offer that as a service to where you're not, like you said, burning those months saves you a lot of money. Yep, Lusitano Dreams offers visa-friendly proof of accommodation. So that could be for the D7 visa or the D8 visa. And their properties include detached houses, apartments, room rentals as well in different locations like Lisbon, Cascais, Lule, and they're expanding too. So uh, soon to be Porto and quite possibly Silver Coast. Yeah, which is really exciting. So check out Lusitano Dreams for more information. We have a link in the show notes below. Matthew, what's it like working remotely in Portugal? Well, I'm in an unusual situation because I'm a lawyer and there aren't a whole lot of lawyers who manage to work remotely from abroad. A lot of people work remotely as lawyers from an hour or two or three away from their offices, but still have to come in frequently enough that they really can't imagine moving to the other side of the world to do the job. I'm in an unusual situation, and I was able to create a system that would allow me to not just be a lawyer, but to be a litigator from the other side of the world. I have COVID to thank for it in large part because everyone got used to working over Zoom for depositions or even for court hearings, uh, for minor hearings and things like that, and just a lot less FaceTime even with clients. And because of that, I was able to start doing almost everything remotely without a hitch. The only real problems that I have are related to the time difference. I'm five hours ahead of everyone in my office in Atlanta and my clients. And so I do have to start my day pretty late, about two o'clock. And I'm not sitting at my desk for eight hours a day, but I have to at least from about two to six every day, I have to be available to clients and to colleagues who want to call me. Those calls usually happen in the morning. And I have to be flexible. I have to accept the fact that I'm going to get phone calls at, you know, sometimes at 10, 11 o'clock at night, someone who thinks they're calling me and catching me in the office at 7 p.m., not realizing that it's midnight. But it just kind of comes with the territory when you make a choice to do something so unusual. And I just try to, uh, tell myself when annoying things happen. It's just part of the price I pay for getting to live here. Okay, awesome. So we're really going to dig into this working remotely because a lot of people are interested in this and Portugal seems like a really good place. So a few things I want to touch on is the time difference. You say you kind of just deal with it. So generally you have your mornings to yourself, right? What do your mornings look like before you actually jump on the computer or do you jump on right away and get some work done that came in through the night or something? 
it's really hard to make myself get up in the morning because no one is waiting for me. I have been able to to manage to make myself get out of bed at nine pretty regularly. And I go across the street to a cafe, have a coffee and a torada, or lunch, uh, some other little treat that they make there. And I have my uh, medlade and sit there for 20, 25 minutes read the news and come back home. And that usually leaves me with maybe three and a half hours left to uh, do what I want. I play piano pretty seriously. I take lessons. And so I usually get my practicing done then instead of later in the day. So I don't normally start working until two o'clock. But of course, if I have a big project, it's nice to have all that time in the morning to be able to uh, get things done before people start calling. So it's almost like flipped because I think our mindset is that in the mornings, you have to get up, you get going, and you start work, and then you finish work, and then you have the evenings to do these things, to practice piano, your hobbies, whatever that might look like. So for people who want to work remotely, wrapping their mind around the time difference would be like a possibility is that your day will just kind of flip. Yeah, you just do it however you want to, really, and this just happens to be what works for me. I, uh, I also like to have you know a glass of wine or two later in the afternoon. So, you know, come seven o'clock at night, I'm usually not in the mood to practice piano anymore. <laughs> so, you know, I do try to get my, uh, my real work out of the way, uh, my non-work work out of the way first thing in the morning, because it's when I can be productive. But yeah, I can see, you just have to get used to being able to have the freedom to do your life the way you want to and not the way that everyone expects. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And we'll chat a little bit about, you know, your move to Portugal and and why you chose Porto in a second. But the last thing I want to touch on with remote working is do you have to go back and forth to the US often? No, not often. And it would be more often except that I work in a firm with five other attorneys and support staff, paralegals, that kind of thing. Fortunately, they can bill on my cases just like I can. So if I need something done that has to be done in the city or in the office, and it's really minor and not something that I want to fork over like eight, $900 for a plane ride and back to the US for, I have people in my office who can handle it for me. Little, little things that they don't have to spend time preparing for. They don't have to learn the case, that kind of thing. But for bigger things like a trial and evidentiary hearing, an oral argument with an appeals court, that kind of thing. Yeah, I just have to go back. But that's only happened once in the past year. And there probably will be years where it gets rough and I have to travel two or three times. But so far, it it's working out pretty smoothly. And, you know, this just seems to be the age we live in now where it's acceptable even for courts to allow you to do things remotely. For example, depositions where you take sworn testimony from witnesses in a case, they're not in a courtroom. They're usually in a conference room in an office, but there's a court reporter there. It's sworn testimony. You have them sometimes up to seven hours the entire day asking questions and taking testimony. Used to be, you know, 90% of the time you did that in person, but since COVID, now it's 90% of the time remote um, over Zoom. When you're taking a deposition, when, when you're the one asking the questions, I can do that remotely 100% of the time. It's only when someone wants to take an in-person deposition of my client, that's when I have to ask another lawyer to come step in and basically sit in the room, babysit them for a few hours, make any objections that need to be made, 
you know, and, and I sit there and I listen to, and I email them any thoughts that I have, but it's not something that they need to be super prepared for. So, uh, so yeah, I really, as a weird as it is, I really do have COVID to thank for making this possible because (laughs) it, it would not, without that kind of intervention of necessity, this really would never have been something that other lawyers and judges and courts would have ever allowed me to do. Right. So we've just become so much more digital and it's obviously worked in a favor for a lot of different industries. Yeah. You know, law firms, businesses, everyone has figured out that, you know, you can do this and I don't really have any strong basis to object to you doing it this way because we all know now that it can be done. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Are you an employee of your firm or are you a partner? How's that work? I was an employee for seven or eight years of of this firm before I moved and I converted to being an independent contractor receiving a 1099 when I moved. Now, you know, I'm an employment lawyer and um, it it really annoys me when I hear people about, you know, I'm getting converted to 1099 or W-2. You don't get to choose your tax treatment. The law tells you whether you're an independent contractor or an employee. And to ensure that I was actually an independent contractor required restructuring quite a few things about the way I work and the way that I'm compensated. I'm now responsible for paying my continuing education. I'm responsible for my own out-of-pocket costs for travel, that kind of thing. And I'm only getting paid for billable hours rather than all my hours work those types of things. I don't have a schedule anymore, these types of things, so that it's a bona fide independent contractor relationship. You really should not assume that you can just snap your finger and say, okay, we're going to give you a 1099 instead of a W-2. And that's your choice to make because it's not your choice. Your actual work relationship has to reflect an independent contractor relationship. You really do have to be in business for yourself. The lawyer in me wants to alert anyone listening that it's more complicated than you may think. And you really should make sure that you understand the legalities of changing your taxation methods or your employer changing the taxation methods because it's um, it's not just a free choice. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, then why did you choose Portugal? I wish that I could tell you that I just love Portugal and had always dreamed of living here and thought the culture was fantastic. But the truth is, I knew almost nothing about Portugal before moving. And it was really not because I didn't like Portugal, because I knew very little about it. We initially had wanted to live in southern Italy. And then I discovered that getting a visa to Italy is really hard. Then I thought, okay, well, Spain is kind of like Italy, so I'll go to Spain. And that would have worked just fine, except for some particularities of Spanish law for me to be an independent contractor there and self-employed, I had to form a business in Spain and register it. But I'm a lawyer and I'm not a Spanish lawyer. Mm-hmm. So I can't start a Spanish law firm. So I really couldn't find any way around that. And so I thought, okay, well, what's another option? And Portugal was the third choice. And it was really just by default because of the way that Portugal is very lax with their with their requirements for visas, especially for remote workers. Okay, so you don't have the same things in Portugal as you do in Spain as far as the law? It's being self-employed 
but working for clients who are entirely outside the United States, I didn't have to register a business in Portugal to do that. My business is based in the U.S. I'm just physically here. And Portuguese law allowed me to do that more easily than I could have in, in Spain, for example. So, you know, we, we knew we wanted to be in Southern Europe. My mother lives with me and she didn't want to live in, you know, Sweden or somewhere really cold. You know, we were sort of limited to Southern Europe to begin with. And then it was the visa situation in Portugal. You know, Portuguese law made it possible. And so that's why we came here. Now, with that said, now that I'm in Portugal, I can't imagine, you know, leaving. I, I definitely am glad that I'm here rather than Spain or Italy. But uh, it was just by luck and not by plan. Okay. All right, we'll chat about why you're so happy that you are in Portugal in a second. But you said that you moved with your mother. So your mother lives with you and she applied for her visa independently. Yeah, she had been living with me for several years before we moved. And, uh, you know, I still need to give her some financial support. She's retired. And so, you know, I kind of just had to ask her one day. I think I gave her a cocktail first. (laughs) And asked her, you know, hey, would you like to move to Italy? And she's like, okay, you know. <laughs> Jeez, what was in that cocktail? <laughs> yeah. And um, and then, you know, she just sort of went with the flow as I changed the countries that we planned to move to. And she just sort of went along with it. You know, she likes the lower cost of living. She was very unhappy in Atlanta with all the amount of crime there. And also just prices were astronomical, um, worse and worse. So, she, you know, she was ready to get out of there too and wasn't too tied to Atlanta because of her retirement. So yeah, so it just worked out and she came with me. Yeah, we're living in Central Porto now. Okay, so both just looking for something a little differently and mm-hmm. going with the flow. That's awesome. So okay, you are in Porto. I mean, because you had never been to Portugal before coming, right? No, I didn't do a scouting trip as everyone calls it. I thought about it, but we had so much going on. I was trying to prepare a house for sale you know, the visa process itself is expensive. Just moving anywhere is expensive. And I thought, you know, going to Portugal for one week is not going to tell me if I am going to be happy living there. You know, Mm. somewhere that's a good tourist destination is not necessarily a good place to live. And I didn't think that there was much chance that I was going to have a better understanding of what living in Portugal would be like from a one-week trip living in a hotel. So I just decided to risk it and move sort of side unseen. I hired people to arrange everything here. And that expense was, you know, very small compared to everything else you have to do to move. Hiring people to set up NIFs and utilities and uh, furniture moving. And I even hired someone from Facebook to go look at apartments for me and FaceTime with me while she explored the apartment with the realtor. And it all worked just kind of perfectly. And it wasn't very expensive. Fortunately, in Portugal, you know, services like that are just not um, bank breaking. Hmm. So then why did you choose Porto? If you had never been to Portugal, why Porto? There are three areas in, in Portugal that people typically will start out their journey living here. Lisbon, the Algarve, and Porto. And I knew that I would be miserable in the heat <laughs> in the Algarve. And uh, even in Lisbon, it can get kind of nasty. But there is this huge climate change somewhere around Coimbra, I think. And, 
you come up to northern Portugal and it's, you know, it's basically the same weather as Galicia in Spain. And it's it's maritime. It's much cooler in the summer. And, you know, and then on top of that, it doesn't freeze in the winter. A lot of people complain about the humidity and rain here in the winter, but I can handle that. The getting away from the heat was was a big thing for me. And that that was really it was, you know, if I'm going to live in Portugal, I wanted to live in, in an area with this type of climate. And and of course, on top of that, you know, I wanted to live in a, in a larger city, especially at first. And there's really only two choices in Portugal for that. You know, Porto is a lovely city. And even though I had never been here, I had a very good idea of what it looked like and what was available here. It, it was a pretty easy choice to make. What are some things that you love about Porto now that you're here? It's a small city, you know. You can get the false impression that it's big because it's so compact and because there's a lot of tourists in the center, but it's really not a very big city and you can walk the entire thing, but it still has good public transportation, good metro system. It has everything that you would expect in a larger city. Maybe not quite as many activities as in Lisbon, but you still have the sense of living in a real city. And the things that I enjoy about living in Porto specifically are really not specific to Porto. It's about living in a city center, but without all the crime in the U.S. and without the insane prices that I would have found living in, say, midtown Atlanta. That's changing, unfortunately. A lot of people have gotten the same idea and the prices are going up. That may not last forever, but it seemed like it would be an easy place to live, and that that has panned out. It has been a very easy place to to live and to get started here. I'd be much more worried about trying to move to Portugal and live in a smaller town or in a village right off the bat without knowing the city. Everyone here speaks English practically. It's like the kiddie pool of living in in Portugal. So then would you consider moving outside of Porto now that you've been in Porto for a little bit and you kind of know the area, probably staying in the north because of the weather, but are there other areas of the north that you would consider? Absolutely. I'd consider them. I can't say that I want to leave Porto. I am happy here. But again, I'm not poorly compensated, but I am not working full time anymore. And I enjoy having a lot of free time for my other projects. And, you know, I don't want to work. 40 hours a week trying to afford an expensive apartment in central Porto. So if the prices keep rising, I may just to preserve my uh, quality of life, I may end up moving out. I haven't decided where. I've thought about Viana do Castelo, Braga, Guimarães. And when you move further inland, you lose a lot of the sort of maritime climate that we have. So you go inland as far as even Amarante and Vila Real, it gets much hotter in the summer. They get freezing and snow in the winter. They're beautiful places, and I would still consider them. But to sort of preserve as much of what I love in Porto, but perhaps with a lower lower rent, I think my first choice would probably be Viana de Castelo. And are you considering just renting from now on, or would you purchase a property? Oh, that's a difficult question. I, I really kind of value the freedom that I have in renting being able to to jump around. There's downsides to it, of course. I'd love to have a big dog, but I don't dare get one unless I own property. You know, I would love to have a little bit of land, not just for a dog, but, you know, things like koi ponds or, you know, something fun like that. And you just can't do that as a renter. So it's something that I think about off and on, but I have no immediate plans and will probably keep renting 
for at least a few more years. There's always this big debate on like what's best for people, Algarve, Lisbon, Porto. So what's some advice you would give to people that Porto is not for you if you like these things? I would say people in their 20s who have very active social lives like to party. Portugal is probably just not the best choice of country for you <laughs> in that case, but especially not Porto compared to Lisbon because it is slower. It is a smaller city. You don't feel that when you're out walking around, but it does have the effect of reducing the amount of activities that are available to go do. And Portugal just doesn't seem to have, you know, a bar and nightlife scene like Anglophone countries, primarily I'm thinking of the US and, and the UK. So if you're into partying, it's just probably not the best place. Although, you know, maybe people are just not inviting me to the parties. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you're not up late enough. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. The, the few bars and clubs that are here, they don't open till midnight. And I don't understand how these Iberians do it. They all seem to have to get up early in the morning, but they uh, stay up really late at night. And I can't do that, certainly. And, and of course, the other, the other groups who probably wouldn't like Porto, I think most of them have figured this out. It, it's not hot here very often. It gets hot for a few weeks in the summer, but the winter or the water, water is always cold all year. The beaches are not very large. The few that there are, they tend to be rocky. It's not a sunbather's paradise. It's not, you know, it's not somewhere that you should move if you want to live laying on the beach all the time. Go to the Algarve for that or go to Spain. But beyond that, it's just a fantastic place to live. And, uh, you know, if you like hearing the ocean and smelling the ocean but not going in it, then, it, you know, it's perfect. Okay, great. I feel like you just made a list of all the reasons why I need to be in Porto. That's <laughs> that's everything that I've been looking for. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to party after midnight and lay on the beach, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah, times have changed. Huh? All right, well, let's shift gears a little bit because earlier you talked about hiring someone, like even just you found someone on Facebook to set things up. So you've moved here sight unseen, but you you had to set some stuff up. So let's talk about how you got connected with people to do that and how did you navigate those things? All of it through the Facebook Porto group. It was really informal. I did a lot of what I wish more people would do, which is to use the search function and find the 20 or 40 or 50 other times that the same question has been asked and answered, I probably did ask a few questions too. Basically, when you ask a question about how do I get help to do this, you can be pretty assured that someone who offers that service is going to respond. And that's how I usually found people who were offering these services. Someone who had services for setting up your NIF, your non-habitual resident status, turning on your utilities, everything. Barbara Montero, maybe? Yes. Exactly. Um, so she offers that service, and I'm about to contact her again to finalize our NHR. And I found a mover, not a mover, but a well, someone to move furniture. We bought a lot of IKEA furniture when we first arrived, and he sh shipped everything here. And he helped put the furniture together, and sort of by doing that, he kind of became our handyman. His name's Tiago, and he has um, he, his business, um, which is primarily furniture moving, is advertised on the Facebook group quite a bit. And he's done great work for us. He's installed lights in our apartments, shelving, 
uh, a new laundry rack on our balcony, just everything we've needed. You know, services here again are very reasonable price. And of course, we're moving here. We don't have a toolbox when we moved, you know, across the Atlantic. So we really did need a lot of help. It's been very simple and straightforward to get that stuff done. Were you ever worried about getting scammed? I almost did get, well, I don't want to say I almost got scammed. I got into the early stages of a scam involving a property on Facebook. But no, I don't think it takes much to to check in on whether someone has a legitimate business. You know, with someone like Barbara or Tiago, they've been on the group for quite a while. They're a known quantity, you know, and I've tried to comment on when Tiago's posted his services, I've always tried to leave a comment to say, you know, that I endorse him. So no, it's, if you, if you search around on on the Facebook group, you can pretty much um, do your due diligence when you're hiring someone. But of course, for some of these services, you only pay when they're finished. Okay. So that certainly reduces your risk. You know, you pay someone after they go look at the apartment for you, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Any red flags you notice that you would just be like, look out for this. If someone says or does this, then that's probably something to stay away from. I haven't been on the lookout for it much. I have noticed quite a few scam looking posts on Facebook, primarily relating to jobs, I think, but also to apartments. You know, we went through Remax. We, we looked around on Idealista for an apartment. But then when I found myself getting lured by a scam artist, I started checking the Remax website more, and we eventually found it through there. And that obviously gave me a lot of confidence in the apartment situation because it was through a you know very well-known business. Yeah. So going with a company or a person who's well-established rather than someone who just seems to pop up, right? Exactly. Yeah. If you find them on a, not Idealista perhaps, but on, on a, a real estate website, you know, it's almost certain that it's going to be a legitimate ad. Right. The same would go for job hostings as well. If someone is advertising a job in a single post on Facebook, you know. Be careful. Yeah. Be careful. Don't don't send them money. Yeah, don't send them money. Yeah, don't don't send them money for sure. As a general rule, don't send people money who are offering you jobs. Yeah. They're, they're supposed to pay you. Right. Okay, so then with setup, did you have any issues or what were some of like the learning curves when you first arrived to your apartment? The two real problems that we had when we first got here were we arrived in November and you know, I didn't really quite believe everyone that it's colder in your house than outside before I got here. And then I realized, yep, it, it sure is. But we fixed it very simply. Got two big dehumidifiers that we run through the winter and some oil-filled radiators that we put in a few rooms in the house. And it's increased our electric bill a little bit, I'm sure, but we're perfectly comfortable. It's about getting that humidity out of your apartment. And and that really kind of solved the entire humidity problem that everyone is endlessly complaining about who's not used to the weather here. So that was a a learning curve, just figuring out that it was the humidity and not the temperature that was the problem. The only real technical problem that I encountered here had to do with our electricity. We had uh, electricity just going out for sometimes for no reason at all, but usually when we were running multiple large appliances. And the problem ended up being not so much a problem of, you know, language, I, but I needed to hire a Portuguese person to fix this for me because I didn't understand how electrical services are structured here. Um, it's just different than in the U.S. And you, you apparently get 
different levels of power or different numbers of different n- numbers of cables that they use to provide your power with and i'm i'm not sure and i you know i can't explain in any kind of intelligent way what the problem was but i just had to upgrade my level of service to avoid that happening and i could never have accomplished that without hiring someone because uh it, you know even if i was able to translate everything i wouldn't have known what to ask for because i've never experienced power being supplied in that way so that was a real learning experience yeah i think this is something that seems to be very confusing for foreigners when they move here because especially short term rentals they always seem to the landlords put it at the lowest cuz they don't want to be paying and then even with long term i think that they just kind of set it up that way so it seems like a lot of times you go in and it's probably on the lowest power mm-hmm. supply and then you yeah you try to run a blender and everything you know goes off and for us we just think oh i, I blew a fuse right and yeah. then it keeps happening but there is a solution to that you can upgrade how much power you're getting which makes it a lot nicer so do you have any issues now no i have no issues now someone from the utility company from edp came about a week ago to do an annual inspection it's a free service that they offer and he told me that we were using some setting that was costing more money than the normal i suspect he's talking about the setting that i intentionally had changed although i'm not sure and um he said that we're spending too much money <laughs> how nice of him <laughs> yeah and that i could have it downgraded and i'm not going to risk that my electric bill for a large three bedroom apartment now is you know, maybe 120 euros a month, you know, it's probably more than I could get away with paying here. It's probably more than a Portuguese person would find reasonable, but it's a lot less than I was paying before. And it's something I can live with. I'm saving money in so many other ways that I'm happy to leave that alone. Yeah. And speaking of paying for things, would you say that Porto and Portugal in general is a, a cash or a card culture? And how do you pay for these different services you've talked about? Well, it depends on 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 if you're hiring someone for personal services i would say it's a cash culture because they don't want a paper trail yeah. when someone's doing doing basically independent contractor work for small things cleaning that kind of thing they typically want cash and you know you don't have to be a genius to figure out why <laughs> but uh, or to guess why but um as far as your day-to-day life going to stores and things like that it's both you can use both almost anywhere Sometimes I go to a fruit and vegetable market and they won't accept say a foreign credit card but they'll accept it if it's a Portuguese card. They also of course have minimum transaction fees. So if you're buying some vegetables that are only a couple of dollars, you'll they may refuse to run your card for that. But by and large, everywhere that I've gone in a city has accepted cards. It may be different out in small towns. but i haven't spent enough time in rural areas to really to really know. Yeah, sure. All right, well, at Express Everywhere we believe that living abroad transforms lives. So how has living in Portugal transformed your life? My mood since moving here is much better. Just i feel just generally better on a day-to-day basis and it's not because of anything in particular. It's just about a different lifestyle. I'm not commuting And and of course not working as much and that's um that has nothing to do with moving anywhere it's just I've made the choice to to work less and then that's going to in- increase anyone's happiness but 
you know, in, in the past several years, especially the United States has to me seemed to become just a really kind of hostile place. Mm. Everyone seems to be on edge and ready to sort of shout, ready to, to get angry about anything. And of course I'm not commuting either. And that not having to drive on, uh, an I-285 in Atlanta every day is going to improve anyone's mood. <laughs> Makes you a much happier person. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I walk to the vegetable market every day. I walk to the cafe across the street. Life is just a lot simpler. And, you know, because of a host of different reasons, you can't have this kind of very simple lifestyle in the U.S., unless you are independently wealthy <laughs> or unless you're just working enormous hours for high pay and then don't have the time to enjoy it. This is more normal, not just in Porto, but in, in, in Europe generally. And even though Portugal is a relatively poor country in Western Europe, you, you just don't have a lot of the social pathologies that the United States is dealing with. Life has just you know become a lot simpler, a lot calmer and um, just more pleasant generally. And I could see that being the case for anyone moving anywhere in Portugal, really. And a lot of different places in Europe could offer that same benefit. You know, people, I think, were meant to live close together, you know, and we, you know, we thrive interacting with other people on a personal basis with minor transactions, you know, going to the store frequently and not having to drive 15 minutes to to an enormous supermarket for example just to to buy your groceries you know i buy my my milk or my vegetables every day and i get to have a relationship with the the people who work at, at the market near my house and these are just not experiences that american urban culture or suburban culture even more really allows anymore obviously you can tell from talking to me about it i highly prefer this yeah awesome Matthew, thank you so much for talking to us today about what it's like to be a remote worker in Portugal and just the slow down pace of life that you're enjoying in Porto. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. So listener, we know that you are preparing to move to Portugal. We did everything ourselves for the D7 visa. So we have a DIY D7 course. We also have a DIY remote worker course now since they've split those up. And if you're already here, we have a living in Portugal course for you. Now, the difference between the D7 and the D8 or the digital nomad visa course that you could get is if you have active income, you should be getting the digital nomad or D8 course. If you have passive income, you should be getting the D7 course. And we have a special promotion for anybody that is a listener of this podcast. If you type in podcast at checkout, you will get $15 off. So these will just guide you through exactly what you need. They stay up to date as things change. And once you purchase it, it's yours for life. So if you're not ready to go now, you can still get it and take a look and you can use it later on. And Kaylee is a mad lady and she is always updating the course so that it doesn't fall out of date. Well, I have to because they're always changing things and so it has to stay up to date. That's facts. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Let's Move to Portugal. Contact info for all the services mentioned are in the show notes. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you love the show, please tell a friend, connect with us on our socials, and if you want to help us out, give us a review on your podcast player. 
Expats Everywhere Presents Let's Move to Portugal is produced by Time or Money Productions. Expats Everywhere researches our guests, and we do our best to provide factual and relevant information at the time of the recording. Despite our best efforts, we can make no guarantees as to the accuracy of what you've heard in this episode. We highly recommend that you do your own research and check your own facts. 